Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. I want to uh, share with you a thought that's come into my spirit. It came just a few months ago, and I want to give this to you because many people have asked me to share with them what I think the end result is of what we're seeing not only happen in the body of Christ, because Jensen Franklin, does anybody know who I'm talking about, but Jensen Franklin, I'm going to get him up here to preach at this church sometime. How'd you like that? Man, he's my wife's favorite TV preacher. I'm her favorite preacher, but it's, she loves we, and we've known him before he was married. But Jensen shared with me a few weeks ago on the phone that every pastor of every large church that he knows is, is, is either the church is under attack or the staff is under attack or the pastor's family is under attack. And he says, it is like a plague has swept during the COVID. It's like all of these additional attacks came. Now, I don't mind telling you, I called the year 2020 the year from hell. Thank you all five of you that agree with me in this place right here. But it was the worst year when it came to just distraction, disruption, fear that came to people. My wife was in the hospital five days and told me, she said, Perry, the thing I had to fight was fear. We had five preacher friends in their 50s, ministers who died. And she said, the enemy would come to her and say, you're no better than they are. Why, you might die like the rest of them. So there was a fear that came. So I never quite had seen anything like this before. But here's what I would like to say to you. Uh, what, what I think is a part of what has been happening, I'm going to give you three points in this. And I want you to just to track with me. And hopefully I can get to the root of what I want to tell you that will help you today. First of all, the Lord spoke to me and I prayed about this. And he said, it has been a season of shaking. It has been a season of shaking. And he took me to Hebrews 12. If you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 27. Here's what it says. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. This is speaking of the Lord. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, then how much more shall we not escape if we turn from him who speaks from heaven? And it's now speaking about Moses on Mount Sinai and how the earth shook when the voice of God was heard. He's comparing that. And he said, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, once more, I shake. Now, it's interesting. It's shook. And it's shake, shook and shake. Not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now, when will the heaven shake? Later in the tribulation, it says the powers of heaven will be shaken and the stars from heaven fall. Those are meteorites. Those can be small asteroids or meteorites, Revelation 8. That happens way into the future of what's called the great tribulation. But anyway, keep following with me. Now, this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the, th here it is, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. The word shook, whose voice then shook the earth, comes out of a Greek word that means to waver, to agitate, to rock, to topple like in an earthquake. This word shake the second word, I shake not only the earth but also the heavens, means to throw something into a tremor. It is literally a shaking. We would compare it to a large tremor 
that we feel during a pretty major earthquake. Y'all are familiar with that here, aren't you? Well, you all get the earthquakes, but we get the hurricanes <laughs> and the tornadoes that come out of nowhere, all right? So we understand that kind of stuff. Now, the Lord would have you to know this, that every person, no matter how long they have been serving the Lord, starts walking into, if they, now here's the key, if you continue to follow the Lord, you, you're supposed to move from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Your faith a year from now should be stronger than it is today. The glory that you're walking in should be more a year from now than you're walking in today, but it only happens by remaining in the presence of God and doing what Paul said, walking in the Spirit as not to fulfill the desires of the carnal or the fleshly man. However, listen carefully, you don't know what's really in you till you go through a major crisis. That's like I tell these kids, you don't know what you're marrying till you get married. Oh, I got a witness on that one. I got a witness on that one. The place erupted when I said that. You, you, you really don't know. And I tell these guys, I said, I said let me give you a secret. Find out when the girl you're going to marry, said, call the mom and dad, says, now mom and dad, when she has no makeup on, when she gets out of the shower, when she got her junky-looking clothes on, would you call me? Because I tell these guys, that's what you're going to wake up with every morning. <laughs> that nice eyelashes and that what a kid and paint on the face and curly hair. No, 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 that's not. Come on, help me, somebody who's been married a while. Bear witness in my spirit with my message this morning. You're going to wake up, and this thing, I'm just going to tell, you know, if the young people that are single, you need to hear this. This thing, and in the Hollywood movies, they laying together in the bed, some husband reaches over and kisses his wife, passionately after waking up. The devil is a liar. Let me tell you something. You got, you got nappy breath. You stink. You smell. You don't want to get within three feet of each other, so why don't you live in reality? Get to know, get to know reality before you... Now, my point is this, my point is this, that there are people that even when you married them, you didn't realize the temper they had because they covered it real well dating you. You didn't realize that he was a scoper and he had an eyes of an adulterer. Uh, watch out now. When you married him, you didn't realize that she had two ex-boyfriends and she retaliated by marrying you. Oh, look out now, Jesus. So you're going to come into all this crazy stuff and realize I didn't know I was coming into somebody that had the baggage carrying with them that they did. Now, I want to say it on the flip side, that everybody sitting here, there are things that if you're not careful and if you don't get rid of somewhere down the road, the enemy will try to raise that problem up or that weakness up and he will literally try to use it against you. You could have been an alcoholic and God's delivered you for 15 years and you hit a depression and the devil will tell you, go on back down to the bar. Ain't nobody going to know. Take a couple drinks, a little toddy for the body. Next thing you know, you're back into an addiction God delivered you out of. The same can be true with a drug addiction where people get depressed and they say, you know, why don't you take a few pills? You know how it used to pick you up. Next thing you know, the very thing that God sets you free from. Now, what happened to you was there was still something in you that was hanging on to you. Do you remember when Jesus went into the garden? 
Biden, what he said, he said, the prince of this world is coming. Now, who's the prince of this world? Well, Satan is, Ephesians 2 and 2. He's called the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 5, he's called the god of this world. But he said, Jesus is saying this to his inner circle disciples. Watch this. He said, the prince of this world is coming, but he hath nothing to hold on to. Now, what he was saying was, what you're about to see take place is not the devil. It is the purpose and the plan of God in my life. So don't shook up by the fact that I'm going to be arrested. Don't let it move you when they beat me. Don't let it shake your faith when you see me hanging on the cross because the devil's not doing it. It is the plan of God. This is what he's trying to say. So some of those things that's happening to you, I'm going to preach it right here now. Some of those things that seem bad that's happening to you, you might say, well, the devil is attacking me, but it really might not be the enemy. God might be allowing you to shake, to shake loose some of the stuff ah, that's been hanging on you and some of that stuff that'll mess you up down the road. And some of that stuff that if you let it linger and you let it go on, you don't see nothing bad happening now. But it could lead to a destruction. It could lead to even a death. It could lead to something bad. So please, I'm going to say it. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. What is the chastening of the Lord? The chastening of the Lord is when God whips you. I'm going to tell you something. My daddy believed in whippings. Is there anybody that grew up with a dad or mom that believed in spanking? Oh, my. They'd they'd arrest your mom and daddy now for the way they whipped you. My daddy used to hit me with a belt. I wish I could get somebody to understand what I'm saying. My daddy used to, he's from the mountains. He used to whip me with a belt. He put stripes on my leg and I'd have to go to gym and wear shorts and have people laughing at me because I had stripes on my leg. Now you put a stripe now, you're going to have your children taken from you. You know what I'm talking about or your grandbaby. So it don't, it don't work that way now. But my daddy believed in the stars and the stripes. And I'm not talking about the American flag. (laughs) He believed in the stars and the stripes, but I, I, how many know I turned out okay? It didn't kill me. Uh, I turned out okay. And you, they'd always, they'd say something dumb to you like this. This is going to hurt me a lot more, a lot more than it hurts you. I looked at my dad and said, "Good, let's change places." If that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I'll change places with you. Oh, that didn't make it any better. That, part, pardon me while I tell you my story. And then I learned how to beat him at his own game. He said, I'm going to get a spanking. I'd run to, the, uh, to the, my bedroom, put on 10 pair of underwear. I'd pad myself like I had three pair of depends on wearing them. And I want you to know he slapped that belt across me. And I, he hit me. Oh, you're killing me. And then he walked in. I'd be saying, <laughs> like it was nothing. But my point is, I'm getting carried away here on this morning service. My point is this, and I don't want you to miss my point, that there are things in you that must be shaken out of you. And sometimes God just just talking to you doesn't do it. Sometimes a a friend warning you doesn't really do it. You don't see the danger of it. You don't see the problem. Come on, you got people you might be hanging around that might be detrimental. You might have a Haman, Judas, and a Jezebel that you don't know that's hanging. Watch out, Jesus. And it's hanging around you that could be detrimental to you down the road. So what God will do, he will allow a a chastening. And I, I was getting ready to say, I think I'd rather be whipped by my dad than have a whipping from the Lord. Because God's whipping don't just get the flesh. God's whippings will get the, the body, soul, and the spirit. But you've got to understand that when it's all over with, when it's all said and done, you are going to be a better person. You're going to be a clean-hearted person. Your hands are going to be pure. Your mind is going to be sanctified. You're going to come into the 
house of God with nothing hanging on to you and nothing bothering you. And then when you go to worship, you're not going to hear the devil say, what you got your hands up for, you little hypocrite? What you got your hands up for? You know you cussed your kids out last night. What you got your hands up for? You know what you did. You're going to say, devil, check these hands out. Clean hands and a pure heart. I'm sending to the house of the Lord. I'm going to abide in the presence of the Almighty God. Somebody help me. Praise God in this house this morning. Praise his name. So, so my point is that what we've gone through is a shaking. It is, it is, it is, we have examined what faith we're in. We've examined are we allowing fear to take over? We've examined do we still trust God despite the fact that we've had, some of you may have had a family member that died. Are you still willing to trust God? Uh, like, like I told Pastor about a message last night of a man that lost his kid after praying for him with leukemia. He said, God, I don't know why it happened, but I'm not going to hell over a mystery. So you've got to say to yourself, I'm not going to hell over something I don't understand. If I, I had a loved one, I had preacher friends that died. I'm not going to sit around and try to figure it out. God knows something I don't know. And guess what? You can't threaten somebody with dying and going to heaven. I mean, what's the worst that can happen to you? Well, I'm going to die. That's the worst thing that can happen. Ain't nothing bad about that. What's bad about walking on streets of gold, shining a gate of pearl, living in a mansion that you've never had? What's, what's wrong? What's bad about going to a marriage supper of the Lamb, having a gold crown that nobody can ever take away? Somebody talk to me and tell me what's so bad about that. The second thing I need to tell you, let's get into this. The second thing is this. That God has sent us into, now we're talking about recently what has happened. This is the word from the Lord. God has been judging the church. He's been judging the church. Oh, wow. Now, this is what 1 Peter 4, 17 says, for the time is, the time is come, that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begins at us, what will the end be to those who are not obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ? We always are looking to the world and we're saying, now if they don't quit sinning, God's going to send an earthquake and put that city into the ocean. Or saying if they don't quit doing this, God's going to judge them. But yet, I think I might go ahead and say this. Some of the same things that we judge the world on are in the church. Really, really. Because people are people. And people have natures, they have character, they can be carnal, they can be spiritual. This word judgment is the Greek word krima, and it alludes to a legal decision for or against a crime that has been committed. Judge, now watch this, this is important. The reason that you don't see national judgments hitting cities that are very corrupt, political situations that are just completely wicked, and leaders that are atheistic. Watch this now. The reason you don't see it happening in the secular world yet is it first begins in the house of God. Now, here's the reason why. If God were to judge the world for, let's say, their iniquities and not judge the people in the church who were doing the same thing, then at the great white throne judgment, those people who were judged would be able to look at God and say, you are an unfair judge because your church did the same thing we did, but you did nothing about it. Is that deep? Do you remember the Lord saying to his people in his day that he's preaching to? On the day of judgment, the men of Sodom will rise up against you. For had they seen the miracles that you were seeing, now, think about Sodom, Genesis 19. Think about how bad they were. 
they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So the Lord is saying to us today that if we walk in the same way that the world walks, whether it be a sin or iniquity, then we must understand that we're going to have to be judged. And I'm going to tell you something. Can I just tell you this? I'm going to lay something out here. and just let, We're going to go to number three in just a moment. But I would far rather for the Lord to chastise me on earth than rebuke me at the judgment seat. I would rather to have to deal with my issue now, whatever it might be, and you should have the same attitude, than to stand before God. You see, there are people. There are people that have done evil and wrong things in the name of God, in the name of trying to expose, in the name of trying to be righteous. And they did it, a wrong, they did it in a wrong way. They said things that were not true. And they will not admit that they were wrong. They will never on earth. I told my wife one day, I said, I know a few people, and I won't bring this up because I'm on the Internet, but I said, I know a few people that hell would freeze over in icicles before they would ever admit they were wrong. They, they cannot do it. They will not and cannot do it, whether it's pride or whether it's ego or whether they're just neurologically confused. I don't know and I don't care because they just are not going to do it. So if they don't do it now, guess where they will have to do it? At the judgment seat of Christ where every idle word that was spoken will be known. So I don't mind telling you that if you are in a situation where idle words were spoken, the best thing to do is go to the person and try to make it right. And I know sometimes it's hard, especially if legal things are involved, if it was a divorce, if it was something like that, and there's, you know, child custody. Sometimes it is difficult to do these things. But you have to release people in your spirit. You have to let the things go. Because if you don't let it go, you will answer in eternity for it. And I'm going to say what I said a moment ago. It's a whole lot better to get a God whipping now. And you take care of all that. And go into heaven clean and clear conscience. She said, Paul kept talking about, I'm, I may preach my real heavy message tonight. I'm talking about heavy. It may, look, y'all, y'all don't need to miss this one. This might be one of the greatest things God ever showed me. If I can preach it the way I preached it last week, because I, I started getting downloads from God Almighty last week that I never saw in my life. So let's pray it'll happen again. Amen. But I want to tell you that Paul talks about having a clear conscience, not only with men, but also with God. And there's something about when you have, have a clear conscience and you know that there's nothing there between you and somebody and there's nothing there between you and God. It brings a deliverance and a peace into your mind that nothing else can bring. And let me just say, there's people that you just have to let them go and they don't go away. I know some people that's like a tick on a dog. They just keep coming back trying to suck blood out of you. They Seriously. They don't quit. They're just going to go on their internet site and say what they want to say and tell some story they want to tell and perceive things that they perceive. And they're not going to go away. They are just like a bad migraine. Come on, it keeps coming back. But you know what? You cannot live your life based on other people's problems or perceptions. you got to live your life with a clear conscience toward God. Somebody put your hands together and praise the Lord in this house if you know what I'm talking about. You have to live with clear conscience to God. The third, in, the third thing that I want to tell you in this message, and we'll, we'll expand on this a little bit. Now, this is interesting, is, and it kind of goes in with the, you know, the first thing and the second thing to an extent, but we're going to look at this from a different perspective. 
God spoke to my spirit and said, one of the thing, things that I'm doing in this season mm-hmm, goes back to the story of the vine and the branches that Jesus gave. So let me just, let me just talk to you what Jesus said. Jesus, uh, John chapter 15, verse 1, but I'll tell you a little bit about the story. He compares, he talks about a vineyard. A vineyard, of course, is where grapes are grown. So he talks about this vineyard. And he talks about the necessity of the vineyard making fruit, right? Now, the husbandman, in other words, God is the owner of the vineyard. God is watching the vineyard. He's he's overseeing the vineyard. So Jesus comes along and he says, uh, he talks about, I quote, John 15, 1, I am the vine, all right? You are the branches. Now, you know anything about a vine that the vine has the root. It's the vine or the main vine that has the root. But out of that big vine comes many different branches moving in many different directions. So understand this. Now, the the Father is the one that's looking, according to Jesus, the Heavenly Father is looking for that vine to produce fruit. There's different types of fruit that are used as an analogy or a metaphor in the New Testament. There is the nine fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not a peach, a pear, a banana, and an apple, or whatever, an orange. But it's, it's, it's the output or the evidence that you are a true Christian. You are, they shall know you by your, you know the Bible, by your fruit. So, so they will look at you and say, they're a peaceful person. They're a joyful person. They're a gentle person. They're a meek person. They have patience and temperance. That's part of the nine fruits of the Spirit. So they know who you are by the actions and the words of your life. And they'll say, that's a good person. They really are. They're, you know, I believe they say they're a Christian. They act like a real Christian. So that's the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Now, when you are winning souls, you are producing fruit. James 5 talks about the husbandman waits patiently for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it till he received the early and the latter rain. So when we win souls, we are not only wise according to Scripture, but when we win souls, we are producing eternal fruit because that's the, that's the little metaphor that's used there. The fruit represents human souls, the analogy or whatever you want to call it that Jesus is using there. So our fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Our fruit is the souls that we are winning. And our fruit is the results of following God and obeying Him. When God, when you tithe and God blesses you, He has increased the fruit or the labor of your hands when He financially blesses you. So in other words, keep in mind that producing the, in the, in the, in the parable, producing fruit is showing that you're real, showing that you're a true believer, producing results for the kingdom of God, winning souls. It's a real combination of things. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Now, I read this, but there was a part of it I just put the period in the wrong place. I'd say, this is Jesus talking now, ready? And every branch that bears not fruit, he takes away. And I stopped right there. I just stopped right there at the takeaway. And I would preach that if we don't produce fruit, the Lord could, could take away that branch. And I'll give you all the word studies. I think I got that here in, in a moment that I'll get to. Now, this part B, they call it, in theology is part A, part B of a verse if it's two sections. This is the part I never quoted. Ready? And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Uh-oh. 
Now, wait a minute. I w- I'm out there rebuking all these people doing nothing. And he says to me, okay, you that are doing something, you got, y'all, get, y'all are getting a revelation at King's Chapel right here. Right here, right here in Wasilla, Alaska. You're getting a revelation. Now, look at it again because you'll read over it as a believer because you got all those friends out there and they're carnal and they're worldly and they ain't won nobody. They never give. They never come to church half the time. But I'm going to tell you what, if they're not bearing fruit, God's going to just take them away. God's just going to cut them off. Whoop, look out for part B. Part B is you. And every branch that bears fruit, he will prune. Oh. So the Lord spoke to me and said, that we are going through and have gone through a pruning process. Take away. Let's look at that part A of that verse. Take away in Greek. To sell away. It actually means just to sell, get up and sell away or release it from the vine. Or John would say it this way, lay the axe to the root of the tree. In other words, he's saying, okay, for that branch that does not produce fruit, he will take it away. Now, the reason he does, my sister-in-law went to a vineyard in California. I hope I'm telling this right. And uh, it was where all the grapes are grown. She just wanted to take a tour of this. It was on a business trip, I think, or something. So she said she noticed that on these beautiful branches, now nothing was there yet. It was the off-season. They were getting ready, getting things ready. They had branches that had little things tied to them, red. They were red. And not all of them had it, but there'd be one that had two little red things on a branch here, and one had a branch there, one had three over here. And so he, the guy's explaining, and so she just kind of says, can I ask you a question? What about the red tags? And I think he said something like, I haven't got to that yet, but I, I'm going to tell you what that is. Here's what he said. We noticed at harvest time last season that this branch was not producing. He said, here's what we have to do. If we leave a branch that's not producing in the vine, it pulls the strength out of the good branches. And you have to trim it. You have to cut it in a certain place. They do it a certain way. And that way, the the, the part that's not producing is removed completely, or, hey, taken away, hello, so that the other branches can receive more strength without something... I gotta say this. Sometimes you gotta cut the cord with people. You're looking at somebody who knows. Sometimes you have to just say to people, now this might be people that's been your friends. This might be people that are relatives. This might be people you work with. It might even be a few folks you go to church with because everybody does one or two things in your life. Ready? They're either always making a withdrawal or they're always making a deposit. I don't want to be around people who's always complaining about something, pulling on me, Mr. and Miss Negative, and they never have nothing good to say about anybody. I'm going to do like that lady on YouTube. Anybody got time for that? You ever see her? You ever see her? Anybody got time for that? She held her hand up. You know, look, speak at the hand. I don't want to spend my time. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of my energy. 
I want to be around people who are speaking good things. I want to be around people who see a vision and say, we're going with it. Mm. I want to see a, hang with people that says, if you believe God told you that, we're going with you. We're going to stand there. We're going to keep on pressing on. Every pastor needs people that are going to say, where you go, I go. What you feel led God told you to do. And see, don't ever say, well, I don't know if that's God because he's the guy praying about it. You might not have prayed about it like you should. But, oh, it's getting quiet in this house now. Maybe you just need to go pray about it and see what the Lord got to say because I've seen people who never prayed about it, but they want to put an opinion on the table. You don't have an opinion. Oh, Lord Perry, calm down, Perry. Calm down, Perry. Calm down, Perry. Look, if you're with my ministry and I've got a plan and you've not prayed about it, you've not asked God about it, you don't come to my table and tell me this is your opinion of something you haven't fasted or prayed about because I'll look at you and say, I fasted and prayed and got the word of the Lord and we going with or without you. It's a good place to clap right there. I know you don't think it is, but that's a good place to say amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> now, here's, here's, something, here's something that you need to hear. God has allowed circumstances to shake you for two reasons. Number one is to shake stuff off of you, or we would say prune the vine. And the second thing, you know what else the shaking does? It awakes you. My wife snores. I don't, she doesn't like me to tell this story, but I have to wear silicone earplugs. She snores so loud. Honey, when I say that, the women get mad at me for talking about you. They don't like for me to talk about you like that. But she snores. Now, don't, don't raise your hand if your wife snores. She might not want you talking about it. But how many of your husband snores? Come on. See, y'all, go ahead. Go ahead. Raise it up. See. But, you know, if you're, if you're asleep, it's fine. But if you wake up, it's hard to go back to sleep, right? But you know what I do to get her to quit? All I got to do is she's asleep. Is just shake her. Just a little shake. Uh, she'll go. I say, praise God. And one minute later, shake her again. And the shake changes what is happening. So God has shaken us to help change us. Am I talking to anybody that understands what I say? I got I, I to get a witness in the house. Can I get a witness in the house? Yes. I want to make sure you're getting this. Now, so look at that. Now, here's a verse. This is, this is a really crazy verse. What I'm going to tell you is a crazy verse. You ready? In Luke 13, 9, 6 through 9, he's talking about a tree that's planted that has no fruit coming. This happens to be not a vine but a fig tree. But watch what they say to do. And this works with vines. This works, works with fig trees. This works with just about any plant. Anybody raised on a farm or where they grew their own food or, you know, that kind of thing? Anybody? Okay, you'll understand this. Jesus spoke a parable and said, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Now, there's the vineyard. See, there's the vineyard, but this is a fig tree. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look for three, look, pay attention, for three years, three years. I've come seeking fruit on this fig and f can't find none. Cut it down. Now, this almost is like the vineyard, right? Not producing fruit. We, what, we take that branch away, right? Clip it. We're going to take it away. But he's doing this now. Let's just cut down the tree. Why does it use up the ground? Mm. But the man answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone also until I dig around it. And new translation, new King James Version Fertilize it. Old King James translation, dung it. 
Now, that's what manure, I'm from an area where we use this kind of language, dung, dung, not done, dung. Put the G in there, dung. It's, it's fertilizer. It's, uh, it's manure. But real simple. That's what he's saying. Let me, put, let me throw some manure on it. Let me throw some dung on it. You know, you know you're going to hear about that this morning, did you? And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. So watch this. <laughs> the man says, here's what we're going to do to this tree that's not producing anything. We're going to throw some dung on it. And we're going to dung it. We're going, we're going to allow it to sit in some dung for a year. I'm going to try to be as nice as I can and not go into my Tennessee way. Are we good in Alaska? Y'all, y'all like Tennessee folks, you just tell it like it is. For one year, this tree had to smell a bunch of stink. For one year, thanks. For one year, stinking stuff started hanging around. I'm going to say it the Tennessee way. We done been through a lot of crap. I'm, I'm glad everybody's not here. Some folks would have got offended at that, but you didn't. And I think about how I'm saying this. Have you, you, that's a slang term. That's not a dirty term. That's not vulgar. It's just slang. And mountain people say it all the time. Mama will say, don't you get, don't you, you shut up. Don't you tell me that. And they'll sure say crap. And, and it means dung or manure. Or, for real mountain people, they use another word I ain't going to use. <laughs> ah, Alaska people use it too. You ain't fooling me. <laughs> Y'all think you act like you're sanctified around here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't believe it. Most of the time. <laughs> I'm having too much fun. Now think about this. We say we have gone through so much, and you know, some people will use the slang word crap, or we've got it ain't nothing but just a pain, it's just a bunch of manure. And think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ready? Going through that stuff is part of the process. Just drop the mic right there. According to the Bible, he says, if you're not producing fruit, I'm coming to church. Ain't one nobody. I'm coming to church. I don't give, don't care. Let somebody else handle that. I come when I want to come. And yet you're supposed to be a child of God, full of the Holy Ghost, full of power, full of faith, producing fruit. You know what God's going to let happen to you? I hate to inform you of this. You're going to have to go through some dumb stuff. And we have gone through one year of COVID, which it ain't nothing but you know what. <laughs> Think about it. We've been locked up in the house, can't go to church, have 10 people, got to wear a dumb mask. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy. It's like six foot apart, six foot, got to stay six foot, can't lay hands on nobody, can't pray for nobody. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It's been a bunch of manure. That's what it's been. But you know what came out of this? Y'all ready, for, y'all ready to hear what I'm about to tell you? What came out of this, which is so bizarre, is churches learned a whole new method of preaching through the lens of a camera, which God told me two and a half years ago was going to happen. Revival's coming through the lens of a camera. Two and a half years ago. I do overseas meetings where I preach through a camera in an office in my town at the prayer center, and they, they uplink it to a big screen in a Muslim nation, and we've had 27,000 Muslims saved this year. Yes, sir, through the lens of the camera. 
I get to go out and eat. I don't have to fly over there. I don't have to go through security. I don't have to have a bunch of armed guards following me around because somebody wants to kill me. I don't have to get up and preach at night and get all my... No, no, no. I just say, turn the cameras on, and they turn the cameras on, and there's an interpreter on a platform with me on a screen with thirteen to 20,000 people there, and we, they get saved, and they get healed, and they get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they distribute Bibles while I'm at home sleeping in my bed. There's a harvest going on, and people are harvesting the field. Oh, you better hear me. So we learned with all the dung going on for a year, another way of doing ministry. Do you know what most pastors told me that blew their mind? Every pastor I talked to said, our finances did not drop during COVID. Our finances increased. I may have some people watching me that are ministry partners, and I say this for the glory of God. You know, when all of this started, there were people saying, well, you know, VOE will probably go under, probably have to sell. Ain't going to be nothing left of VOE, all this COVID and all this, you know, transitions and blah, blah. No, 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 no. Let me just talk to you devils. And let me tell you that starting in the month of April last year, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, we have broken financial records for 14 months straight at the Voice of Evangelism Ministry. The devil is a liar. I, that, you know, that's worth a lap. Somebody needs to hold this mic. I'm going to run one now. You better watch me. I'm going to run down the aisle one of you there. Now, 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith, it's much more precious than gold tried in the fire. 1 Peter 4 and 12, that judgment begins at the house of God. You got to prune the vine to get more fruit from it. God does it sometimes, Hebrews 4, 12, 12, 4, I'm sorry, through the chastening of the Lord. But let me talk to you about pruning it, pruning it, pruning it. Let me talk to you about this word a little bit on pruning it and all this kind of thing. I did a study on this and found out that prune does not always mean to cut. It actually means to take something and clean it off. You, you t- they actually can take it and they rub the vines down. They use a substance and they rub it down because it has buildup on it. And the buildup in- interferes with the buds. So it's not always clipping. Sometimes if it's dead, you clip it. But if it's not dead, but just not producing, you've got to clean it. So there's the purging. There's the chastening. So, le- mm-hmm. So let me just talk to you that when things aren't going the way you think they're supposed to, this is where you have to trust the Lord and you have to say, maybe you want to use me greater, but you got to get me straightened out to use me greater. Maybe you want to send a stronger anointing, but I have to go through some stuff to get the stronger anointing. Because let me tell you where anointing oil comes from. Anointing oil comes from an olive tree. Do you know what it takes to get real anointing oil? Let me just give you the process. Ready? Number one, there has to be a certain ripening of the olive. So the anointing only comes when you are ripe in that you have matured in more of the things of God. But here's what begins to happen that is not so much fun. Every olive is connected to the tree. And every olive has its friends to its left and its olive to its right and the olive above and the olive near. And they are content and happy on that little tree ripening in the sunlight and the refreshing showers that come. And then one day, process, 
the trees start shaking because they either take a stick, if it's an arid village, they'll take a stick and they start beating the branches and make those olive trees release from the security of the branch it's hanging on. And next thing you know, you look and laying there on the ground in a net are all those, if sometimes they're green, sometimes they turn black, are those olives. And they have just been separated from their friends. They've just been separated from what they're familiar with. They've been separated from people who say, we love you, we love you, we love you. All of a sudden, they're no longer there. And you're laying in the net. You have been shaken. I'm talking to somebody. Maybe it's talking to somebody out there. Are you ready? Now, here's the next process. It's horrible. The olive has a seed in it. You, you all do, you know, it, olives don't come pitted. <laughs> <laughs> they do that in a factory. Olives have a seed. And I went to a place in Israel called the Talmudic village where I watched them how they take an olive. Here's the hard part. Not only do you have to be separated at times from your family because you've been saved or from old friends because you can't hang with them anymore, you go through that process. It's tough. It's tough. But then God puts you in the, it, he crushes you. And I watched that olive press. You ready? And it, crushes a pile of olives in a net four times. The first pressing is the purest oil, and that's, that's used for sale in the olive bottle. Virgin oil, they call it. The, the, it's kind of green looking most of the time, pretty green, kind of yellowish. That's the first crushing. But in the old days, they pressed it four times. They took the first bit, separated it. That's actually what went to the temple in the old days to light the menorah. Then they would press some, and you could cook with it. And then they would press some for your little olive, I'm sorry, your oil lamps that were in your home. Then the final pressing would be used for medicinal purposes. It had a lot of the stuff in it. But watch what a guy told me at the Talmudic village. Ready? That's old man run right there. That's old man run. What holds the most oil, Pastor, is the seed. Only, they only pit, they only pit the, the olive, take the seed out if they're going to sell it in the store or if they're going to use it in a salad. But if you normally go through getting the oil, now how many know the oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit? If you go through getting the oil, you have to crush the seed. And I had a guy at the Talmudic village who does this for a living. I said, wait a minute, hold on. He, I said, you're telling me that the most oil is not in the olive, it's in the seed. He said, that's absolute. So I said, when you crush the seed, he said, when you crush the seed, you want the seed in the olive. Because when it crushes, that's where you're going to get the most oil. What did that represent? The Lord spoke to me and said, the seed is my word. And I said, but I don't understand. What do you mean by, he said, when you have the word inside of you and you are being crushed by the world and crushed by the business and crushed by the pressure of the money you need to pay your bills and crushed by people saying bad things about you that they don't even know what they're talking about and being crushed by friends and crushed by family, you feel like that that word in you is just being crushed but what you don't understand. It's what's producing the oil. It's what's producing the oil that's going to bring healing eventually. 
It's producing the oil that's going to increase your anointing when you stand up and sing a song. It's one thing to sing a song because you can sing. It's another thing to sing it because you've been through what you're singing about. It's one thing to preach a sermon that sounds good, that kind of thrilled you. But it's another thing when a preacher can stand up and look at you and say, it works because I've been there. Now, the Holy Spirit of God says, here's what he does. He cleans the vine to make sure it can produce fruit. Or if it's got something dead, death that's just sucking its life out, maybe a sin, he'll cut that sin off. Lay aside the weight and the sin that besets you, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And then he allows you to go through pressing processes. Because if you'll endure it, if you endure it, if you can make it through it, not only do you have a testimony, but you'll have a brand new walk with God that you've never known before. You really will. You'll have a walk that you've never known. Look, I'm telling you, and I don't want to say too much on the Internet, but I had a year from hell. My wife and I had a year from hell. We had people betray us. We had people leave us that we fought. Listen, we paid people's car payments. We paid medical bills. We gave uh, somebody a grand piano. We, we did all kinds of stuff and found out the people you bless. This is true. I'm going to tell you a secret. The people you help the most are the first ones to bail out on you. Every pastor said, Perry, it's just true. I helped this family that couldn't even, they were losing their house, the pastor says, and they were the ones that turned on the ministry and left and went to another church. I tell you it's the most difficult thing to watch people that you have tried to help them and they get hurt or they get offended or they hear something or they, they just follow somebody. It's tough. But you know what happens when you come out? When you've been shaken and you've been crushed and everything that seed in you that you've been hanging on to for years, let me tell you what happens. It's called a double portion anointing. It's called double blessing. So if you've been hurt by people, you may have been hurt by church years ago. You may have been hurt. I can make you a list of things that you feel like you've been hurt by. Can I tell you from somebody who's been on the tree and been taken off the tree and been placed in the net and had the seed crushed and the olive crushed. Can I tell you that when you're sitting in that bottle of oil and you take it and lay hands on people, there's a healing anointing. When you take that bottle of oil and lay hands on people who need the Holy Ghost, they start receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When you preach with that oil, it begins to break the yoke in the people's lives because the Bible said the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing of the Holy Somebody right now, if you will, would you just praise the Lord? Put your hands to, come on, I want you to put your hands together and just begin to give glory to God in heaven right now. Now let's lift our hands while we're seated. Let's lift our hands while we're seated. I want you to say this out loud with me. Let me pray a simple prayer. Out of my spirit, I'm not, this is not written down, but I want you to say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for all my good times. But I also want to say this. I don't despise my tough times. That's where I have learned to trust you. That's where I have learned you are faithful. That's where I have learned to really believe you. 
So I accept good and bad in my life because I know you will always have my best interest in mind in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.